Thanks for joining us. The final episode of the Tom Atkins week. Jared, you'll be pretty keen on this because you missed our first go round on this. I did. You fucking dived in head first without fucking, you know, testing the waters. You just leapt into it. It was early hanging. days. It was five <laughs> years ago. You already felt like this isn't working and I've got to leave Jared behind. <laughs> I've got to find greener pastures. <laughs> just to let people know, we have covered this film. We we haven't lost our fucking minds or well, we Bumbled have, along, but... just done it, and then realised a few weeks later, have we done this already? We did do this very early on. I think it was in the first six or seven episodes. I did it with a mate of mine, Darren. We covered off on it. But because it's Tom Atkins week, you have to review this film. So it's a Night of the Creeps revisit. Yep. And, of course, Jared didn't, was not a part of the first episode, so we're going to get some fresh takes. Again, I may change my mind. I gave it three and a half back in the, the first day, so keep that in mind. Yep. Now, we've got a big episode, Jared, big episode. We'll start off with what we've been watching. Have you seen anything of note? I have watched a couple of things. I watched another DC animated movie. Uh, this one was Deathstroke. Not bad, not one of the better ones, but I keep I keep in touch with those ones quite regularly and generally they are pretty good. So, uh, yeah, I'll check that out. Okay. Obviously, me and you watched Maniac Cop. <laughs> I forged ahead and watched Maniac Cop 2 and 3 as well. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I cannot lie. I won't say I didn't enjoy both of them because I did immensely at certain points. <laughs> Maniac Cop 2 was better. Maniac Cop 3, yeah, she took a few uh, twists and turns <laughs> that we could have done without, but I enjoyed it. I mean, it's just, as we said with the first one, it's just a very straightforward premise that does the trick. Maniac Cop 3, when we say twists and turns, we had voodoo and an element of Bride of Frankenstein that was sort of brought into the mix Jeez. that maybe didn't fit. But if you like the first one, check them out. Obviously, me and you were uh, awaiting the babysitter, Killer Queen, with with bated breath. We, yes, we, we, I we was. hanging for it. So I actually uh, went back and watched the first one. So... You know, thank, thankfully Netflix has dropped their feature to be able to speed it up to 1.25 and 1.5 and if you're inclined. Because I'd watched it pretty recently, I did speed it up. I watched the whole thing again, but I sped through a couple of the scenes that we knew and kind of yeah. revisited the first one. I think it was even better the, the second time watching it. I think it was the first one, it was such a shock with the comedy and where it was going. I actually laughed more this time around, I think. Really, really enjoyed it. And the second one, more of the same. Like there was my biggest issue with the second one is that there was a there was a fair old twist which Yeah, I mean if you'd watched the first one, you saw it coming a mile off. But when I say that, I feel like it was the right way to go as well. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of the second one for the same reasons. It was a bit it was a bit sillier. There was a few more sort of scenes where I was kind of like, yeah, we're really pushing the the comedic elements possibly a bit too far here, but I enjoyed it and it was more fun. So if you like the babysitter, I would say yeah, absolutely check out Killer Queen as well. So and uh I only really watched one other thing that doesn't really fit with the podcast, but I guess I have to mention it because 
you're probably going to get a chuckle out of it. But uh, on one of the many streaming services that I have access to, I was able to watch Cats. <laughs> Jesus. So I did. <laughs> How did that go? Oh, look, I mean, I didn't know a hell of a lot about Cats the musical, but after I read about it, I thought I probably shouldn't have watched it as a movie because the musical was talking about how it's a you know, series of very tenuously linked fucking vignettes. And then when I watched it in the movie, I was like, yeah, I can see that. And, uh, you know, we, I don't know, we get to Was see- it a mistake to make that movie? I think so. Yeah. I would say so. Especially with the... A inordinately sized budget they use. Well, look, to call me crazy, but if you're going to make it for fans of cats, make it with Broadway people. Yeah. We don't need to see Idris Elba embarrassing himself. Oh, man. <laughs> fucking CGI cat. Oh. <laughs> fucking hell. Good God. I, I think it's got a niche, and I think the people that would want to see cats as a fucking movie theatre experience would probably see it anyway because it seemed like you didn't really rope all the people in well, you roped people in to the trailer with the with the big names, but when they saw the trailer, they all fucking giggled and laughed and then didn't watch the movie because I don't think it was a monetary success. So No, it wasn't. And the the woman that played the main cat, I mean I can't even fucking remember what her name was, but uh, I'm not talking about the actress. I thought she was okay, but the, the, the characters, it was such a fucking jumble. I don't even know who the <laughs> fucking characters were. But she was a Broadway person, from what I can tell. But then yeah. you surrounded her with all these actors, and and some of those people came from Broadway. Like I, I think Judy Dench was in a, was in a uh, performance years ago on Broadway and fucking busted a leg or something and couldn't finish it off, so... But, yeah, Jesus Christ, it was a fucking, I don't know, it was an experience, I'll put it Disaster? Yeah. I mean, seeing Idris Elba pumping the fist and fucking firing, (laughs) it's not the height of his career, and he was in Hobbs and Shaw, so. Yeah. Is that it, mate? Is that That all you had? That was me, that was it, that was it. I talked too much about Cats, I think. Oh, shit, you you sound like you're excited to watch it again. (laughs) Well, it's a horror show, so it does fit. True. I had I, I went back to the Mist, the TV show. I remember starting this years ago when it first came onto Netflix and watching the first episode and thinking it was all right, and then never getting back around to it. So I thought I'd give it another run. Not too bad, classic sort of stuff. Trapped, unsure what's going on. You know the whole idea of people turning on each other. Exactly what you expect. Um, but- Does extending it work? So far, we're three episodes in, and I think it's got it has potential to be extended. Do you know what I mean? Like it has the ability to be extended. My big issue with something like The Mist is, even if you extend it, I can see maybe one season, but then yeah. what do you do after that? Exactly, and it and it didn't last more than one season, so it's kind of got a, a shelf life there. The yep. thing about it is, you need to extend it. Perhaps a little more interestingly, things are fairly standard in this. You get exactly what you expect from the characters. You know, there's people with secrets and all this sort of stuff and people who are stuck in one place who have got problems with each other and, you know, that type of thing. Yep. So it it kind of works on those simple terms. Yep. But but not really much more. 
I watched that documentary on Shudder in Search of Darkness. Yep. Yeah, solid. Long. Very long. Probably too long. But... Well, not really, considering that we can't get much else out of Shudder at the moment. Yeah, well, shit, I probably should have broken it down into episodes of an hour <laughs> yeah, each. it needs to be long. Yeah. But, yeah, look, it was, it was pretty good. Check it out. If yep. you're a horror fan, it's definitely yeah, worth it. Absolutely. I'll be on it. I sat through a killer scarecrow film called Husk. <laughs> also on Shudder. <laughs> Don't laugh. It was yeah. all right. Was it? It was all right, yeah. It was, okay. It was from a collection from years ago called After Dark. Yep. Collection. And, look, it wasn't too bad. I had a reasonable time with it. If you're looking for something to watch on Shudder, you can do fucking much worse, I can tell you that. Well, I mean, you could you could have watched The Ranger. You could have watched The Host. Or Host. <laughs> Again. <laughs> So, Mate, don't laugh. Jason Blum signed those blokes up to a three-picture deal, so I'm up. I'm fucking. You're straight in for, I'm in for a world of hurt now. Three Blumhouse pictures that I'll probably go and see that I'll fucking hate. Possibly. <laughs> and the last one, the big ticket one for me, is I finally went back to the cinema. Yep. To see Unhinged. You should have stayed home. <laughs> uh, but au contraire. <laughs> It was all right. It's exactly okay. what you expect. It's fatal attraction or one of those, you know, hand the rocks the cradle, crazy person basically inserting themselves in someone's life. Yeah, instead of instead of someone trying to, you know, boil bunnies, it's Russell the Rock trying to play you a song. Let me tell you something, mate. Russell the Rock is the best part of the movie. <laughs> they just let him go up- overboard. Does he turn up with 30-odd foot of grunts to serenade anyone? No, but he turns up with 30-odd foot of kilograms <laughs> on the on the frame. <laughs> he's looking big, Russ. Yeah. He's looking real big. I don't know Look, if he put, a, put on extra weight for the role or whatever. I love Russell, so I'll, I'll see it. Yeah, he's, he's sort of playing like this southern bloke, and um, I don't know whether he beefed up for it. He looks like he's put on some weight. Um, but he's great because he understands the material, mate. It's just overboard central. Yeah. He just chews the scenery left, right and centre. And look, there's no other actors of note in the film. So, you know, he kind of outshines them without really trying, I don't think. But <laughs> he, do, he does some really good – he does some good stuff. He's quite a menacing motherfucker when he gets What going, you've just though. said could be, could be said in, in other ways too, like that – you know, there's no other actor in the film, so Russell Crowe's shit performance is, is kind of missed <laughs> in amongst the rest of it. That's harsh. Uh, Russell's a good performance. The, the rest of the film's a little bit by the numbers. Would you, say you tw- would you say your 20 bucks was well spent on that Well, one? it was only 11 bucks. Oh, okay. Well, so I came back well, in on Tight Ass Tuesday. Well, you're fucking doing cartwheels coming out of the cinema after that one then. I am, I am. But, you know, with my stock price on a McG going through the roof, <laughs> I'm due for a windfall. You can afford to be frivolous. That's and right. Watch I, can shit throw shit around. I can throw money around like a man with no arms. <laughs> yeah, come tight ass Tuesday, you'll watch anything. Exactly. Just like the good old days, mate. Yep. But that was it. That was it for me. Excellent. So just before we get to the film, I just wanted to throw out some news. I, I was talking uh, on Instagram with a friend of the show, Luke, who's thrown us his thoughts on Night of the Creeps. 
as well as Tom Atkins. They, they will be inserted into this episode. But we were talking about the Friday the 13th box set, Blu-rays, mm-hmm. and he mentioned that they had actually found the footage from part two. Yes. The gore footage. Yep. And I didn't, I didn't remember reading that when they were giving us the initial details of what was on the discs. No, so it came later. Yeah, and I'm fucking through the roof on that. There was a, a lengthy Facebook post about how they found it all. I believe it had something to do with, because I remember hearing Greg Nicotero talk about seeing that footage um, when he went and um, saw Carl Fullerton. Yes. And that's where they ended up finding it. Well, that's right. They actually asked Carl Fullerton and he dug out a VHS. And I believe, I mean, it went through a process. I believe they had to bake the VHS. <laughs> <laughs> you got to read the Facebook post because it's it, it goes through how they they essentially just followed that lead and Carl Fullerton sent them the, the tape. And, and, yeah, as I said, part, I, don't, I don't understand it fully, but part of the process of restoring the footage was fucking baking the VHS so they didn't, <laughs> didn't wow. destroy the footage. But it was all there. I reckon it's like four hours worth. Well, my understanding is that it's, it's too far gone to do any sort of recuts of the films, so it's all going to be separated from the films, and I believe the audio is fucked as well. Like, there's there's not audio to it. I, I could be wrong about that, but, they've yeah, they've discovered all those all those recuts from that, not the recuts, all, all the footage from that VHS and are going to include it on the set. So, yeah, yeah I mean... We need to be fucking throwing a big thank you out to Brandon over at the Nostalgia Be Damned for sorting that out for us. Otherwise, we'd be fucking with yeah. Buckley's chance of getting a coffee. So no, no, because um, Luke was saying he just he managed to get himself a, a copy that's now shipping to Australia. Oh, from okay, Amazon. Yeah, but so you that's wanted where the, the you wanted the poster. Started. You wanted the poster, mate. So we had to fucking bend over. No, I wanted the lithograph. Yeah, well. I was the- you couldn't get the poster without. You couldn't get the lithograph without the fucking poster, could you? I know, but I wanted to go. I wanted to go hardcore at it. Yeah, and yeah. Brandon just happened to be a nice and nice, nice enough to do us a bloody solid. Yeah, yeah. We owe him big time for that. We one. do. We owe him big time. That is a bit. That is a big bit of news. Like I'm really, I'm really happy with that because a lot of people have talked about wanting to see that footage and the fact that we, we may never ever see it. I mean, this is what you expect when you um, immediately drop fucking, you know, 350 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. we're in Australia, so this is this is like a half a year's salary for us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, it's what you expect from Scream Factory, I guess. They've, they've developed such a reputation for going the extra mile. Yeah. And, I mean, we laugh at, at, at the, the length of the features that we got for something like Shocker. But at the end of the day, you love that they do that shit because it's going the extra mile for stuff that we wouldn't have we wouldn't have seen otherwise. So well, it's disappointing on behalf of Paramount Pictures too because they should have still had that footage somewhere. Yeah, but they couldn't have given a fuck about it. Yeah, I mean, well, that's been proven over and over. All they cared about was the dollars that it was making. They didn't give a fuck about the property, even to even when it was making money. It was just like let's distance ourselves from this. Yeah. We'll just make the cash off it and fucking it's a cheap it's a cheap money making venture. But I mean there are people that want to see this shit and actually care about it. So it's great that they've that, you know, people like Shout Factory are able to go and get 
those are able to access those resources and talk to the people that were involved and, and start, you know, putting together all this stuff for the people that actually want to see it. And, Absolutely. You know, turning the oven on and baking the necessary VHSs to get it to us. Exactly. All right. Let's take a break then, Jared, and let's dive into 1986's Night of the Creeps. The Night of the Fall is finally here for Chris, Cindy, and JC. It's going to be the best night of their lives. But tonight is also the Night of the Creeps. From a world unknown comes a nightmare unimagined. First, they are under you, around you, on you, and then inside you. They get into your mouth and you walk around while they incubate, even if you're dead. They are a new terror. They are a different kind. Zombies, exploding heads, creepy crawlies. We could have a little problem. The creeps are taking over. I got good news and bad news, girls. The good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. You have never had a night like this. Night of the creeps. If you scream, you're dead. Night of the Creeps from 1986, written and directed by Fred Decker, who gave us the Monster Squad, and produced by Charles Gordon, who produced Die Hard. It stars Tom Atkins as Detective Ray Cameron, Jason Lively as Chris, Steve Marshall as JC, Jill Whitlow as Cynthia. The budget was $5 million, and the box office was 591000 worldwide. The characters of Chris and JC were also featured in an early short film made by Fred Decker. All right, Jared, what are your what what are your thoughts on this film? Look, I often take the piss out of you for going overboard on some of these movies, but it, I think it's it might be me tonight. <laughs> yeah, I might be going overboard. I just love this movie. It's uh, a simple enough premise that is a real. I mean, it's clearly taking cues from movies that, that Fred Decker loved, alien invasion sort of things, zombie sort of things, but it, it does a nifty little job of putting it all together, does a nice job of paying homage to the era that they came from with those little 50 segments, and you can't go wrong with Tom Atkins taking the taking charge. So <laughs> I, I'm going to a four and a half. I just four and a half. Absolute, I have an absolute ball with this movie, and I've got very few dislikes to it. Openly admit my bias towards it, but uh, yeah, love it. Four and a half. Absolutely. And it's a bristling five mos. Five mos bristling. Look, this is a pensive Tom Atkins with you know a lost love. Which we haven't seen. Yes. We haven't seen much of Tom doing that sort of stuff, but he still brings the comedic elements. He still takes charge. He still does the usual Tom Atkins stuff. I reckon for me, it's it's uh, it's neck and neck with Dr. Dan Chalice for peak Tom Atkins. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Dr. Dan's a little more of a worse human being. Although, Ray Cameron's a little bit sort of jaded, but he's not a mongrel. <laughs> he's, not, he's, not a, he's not a hard drinking. Well, he's hard drinking, but he's not treating his wife like crap. <laughs> well, may, maybe Ray Cameron in his past had a dalliance with a woman who turned out to be a robot like, like Dan Chalice did. So yes. Understandably jaded. I gave it three and a half when we first spoke about it all those years ago. It's one of my favourite 80s horror films. Watching it again, I was just so happy to be seeing it again. It's just so it's so much fun. It's so enjoyable. Atkins is fantastic in the role as Ray Cameron. Dialogue that crackles. It, it, yeah, even the special effects, which are a little ropey at times, they still have a kind of charm to them. Well, they still stand up for, for practicals and, the, you know, they had... Combinations of animatronics and actors and in particular scenes, they still hold up, I feel. And it's, um, it's, it's criminally, criminally underrated. Yeah. Uh, it's, it deserves far more credit than it gets. And it's, it's, to me, it's a minor classic, you know. Yeah, and definitely. I gave it four out of five this time around. You can't bump it up a half? Nothing I can't bump it up a half, but I'm, I on. mean, look, I would have teetered at that extra half. And, of course, five bristling mows, <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> five beautifully curated mows. Well, Atkins says this is the one that fans still talk to him about the most. Yeah, so, and you can see why from a, from a sheer one-liners perspective. Yeah, yep. Luke was also on four out of five. And also five pristine, bristling moustaches. Peak form, he yep. says. Peak form for Atkins. He just thinks it's the perfect personification of the type of character that Atkins was. Well, I've, I've, got, a, I've got a big comment towards that for a particular point of the film, so <laughs> glad Luke brought that up. He thinks it's fun. It's kind of silly in parts, but he, it's great action, great dialogue, one-liners. He loves the practical effects, which are yep. an absolute winner, I guess, in the sense of, Seeing those effects in comparison to say if this was redone today, you know, yeah. you'd, you'd, you'd spice it up with a bit of computer generated stuff. Yeah. Well, you look at something like The Babysitter, for example. Yeah. I love that, but they use CGI effects and sometimes it just takes you right out of it. And Luke makes a really good point about Fred Decker. It's kind of like with this film and Monster Squad, he was kind of on, to me, on the up. And and unfortunately, he he sort of never quite found that success. No, so to speak, which no. is sad. It which is, is disappointing because, because when you watch those two films together, you think this guy could have been a genre mainstay. Yeah, and you look at he obviously has ties to Shane Black, and then they were obviously close friends. Yeah, and Shane Black went on to have a really big career and a very well-known career in Hollywood. Yeah. And Fred Deck is still around, but he's kind of never quite been able to recapture. Yeah. Well, Which Shane is... Black's in this, isn't he? He's, he's, a, he's an extra at one point. Oh, is he? Yeah. I didn't see him, but... Because I believe he was hanging around the set. Tom but, Atkins uh... talks about how he was hanging around the set and told him he was writing Lethal Weapon and he'd be, he'd be great for it. <laughs> he wanted him as Riggs initially. Oh, really? Imagine yep. Tom Atkins' Riggs. 
<laughs> I believe uh, Tom awesome. Atkins. Tom Atkins in the interview says, uh, "I told him, yeah, I'm not going to be Riggs. The studio <laughs> won't hire me as Riggs." <laughs> yeah. yeah, they should have though. They should have. <laughs> should have absolutely. I mean, if yeah, they look. wanted to ensure that Lethal Weapon was a medium hit rather than a smash hit, <laughs> yeah. they should have hired Tommy Atkins as Riggs. Luke goes through it like he's a bit like us. Very few dislikes. Yeah. Um, really, um, he's you know some really good thoughts about the film, and I'll try and sprinkle them in there when I can. Excellent. But first things first, it's just really great fun. It is. There's something about these films that, like this particular film for mine, that it gives me this real sort of happy feeling. Yeah, and it also. It. It also, for me, seems to fit almost into the sort of gateway yeah. stuff. It's not super violent or or gory, but it definitely fits. It's definitely got elements of real sort of horror in there, especially the way that they they sprinkle in that you know escaped mental escaped patient and mental patient that that's you know running around killing the the kids in the fifties that then ties into the the, the creeps. I, I think it fits right in with those 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 sort of films that you could kind of watch when you're a little bit younger and not be totally freaked out by, yeah. Um, but still give you enough of a bit of a chill and a bit of a bit of a vibe where you're sort of thinking, oh, that's a, that's a bit a bit creepy, but I want some I want some more. I want to I want to see some more of this sort of stuff. Absolutely, and I think that's why it's it's disappointing that Fred Decker didn't get more opportunities. Because this and Monster Squad were both sort of gateway films. Yeah, absolutely. Monster Squad even more, because mm. it was Monster Squad was almost a kids' film. Yeah, like older age groups, but it was sort of definitely aimed at the kids that were in the age bracket of the Monster Squad, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Tom Atkins. Is this is Apex Atkins? Peak. Me. Absolute peak. It, 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 I mean, if you're at the top of the mountain. It's this and Halloween three for me. Yeah, yeah. For I different think reasons. <laughs> different reasons, but both of them sort of you know, this is where his characters are the most sort of enjoyable to watch. Yeah. I mean if you wander over to Halloween three side of the mountain, it's probably more fresh smelling grog. And there's probably more perfume smell coming off it as well. If you wander over to this side of the mountain, it's more stale grog and, yeah. and broken dreams. Sort of yeah, exactly. <laughs> but a rumpled, a rumpled older, you know, world weary Atkins. But the 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 big thing, the big uh, winner for me for Atkins here is his his dialogue oh. when he's got that sort of front about referencing. You know, pop culture names like yeah, you know, no, it's Bozo the Clown and uh, you know, yeah. Bullwinkle Moose and all this sort of <laughs> shit. It's quite funny, um, which he doesn't get to do a lot of in Halloween Three. Oh, mate, there is just so many classic lords. Yes, I mean, yeah, there's obviously the thrill me that he constantly uses. <laughs> I also love playing Pooh Patrol with your nightstick. Yep, at one point. The my personal favourite conversation is in the when he interviews JC and Chris over the dead body. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And he's there with him, and he's he's talking about it. 
It's right on the cusp of what you'd call the collegiate tomfoolery. <laughs> Would you care to comment? Yeah, good stuff. It's just kind of there's a real wit and energy to the dialogue. I mean, that, there's that a really cracking, there's an absolute cracking deleted scene, a pairing of deleted scenes too, where when he initially gets the first call to the lab, he starts dressing down the bloke on the phone because initially it doesn't sound like a homicide. And he's there going, you call a homicide detective in the middle of the night, generally you have a body. And starts fucking talking about, you know, you got to have a body and this and that. And then he goes, oh, we do have a body. we got two. And starts, you know, talking about it like that. And then later on, another one of the deleted scenes is Officer Ramey calling him again and going, "Uh, uh, uh, Detective Cameron, we have uh, one body, not two. And then they go back to that scene where he's there, you know, getting the rundown again. And it absolutely—it fits superbly with what he does in the movie. But they cut it for for time purposes, I think. But yeah, it's so it's so good the, the way that he's kind of he's put up this guard of this fucking this guy that sort of bulldozes all the all the people underneath him and just sort of you know talks down to him, but but is still kind of lovable from the audience perspective. Yeah. Exactly. But some of those lines are just fantastic. The whole yep. thing about your dates have arrived. They're all dead. It's Miller time. I forgot about yeah. it. it's Miller time. Classic lines. There's a lot yeah. of classic lines. That, you know, good news and bad news. Good news, your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. Like, that's absolute classic. But there's, a, yeah, he's got, a, he's got a few absolute gems. I've forgotten some of them now, but he's he's just sort of consistently dropping them through the through the film. Yeah, well, well, well. If it isn't Spanky and Alfalfa, like that sort of shit, like that's my favourite. Creepy crawlies, aliens, and a date to the formal. That's classic Spanky. (laughs) (laughs) It's got quite a bit of humour too that I like sprinkled throughout, and I really, I, I I had to have a laugh at where in the fifties prologue, which I think is fantastic, and Luke was a big fan of the fifties prologue. Yeah, I love that. All the black and white stuff, I think, is a really cool way of going back to those B-movies of the 50s and 60s. Well, that's right. I mean, our lens is, obviously, as people that didn't live through the 50s, that's our lens, right, is those TV shows that were in black and white. So so doing it in that fashion was was a really smart choice, I think. Yeah. I love that bit where she's listening to the radio and it's saying, a mental patient has escaped and he's now heading on foot. On Route 66, just outside of Corman University, and she turns the lights on in the car, and there's a fucking pair of sides, and it's Route 66 on one side and Corman University on the other. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, you know, it's silly, but it's really, it's kind of amusing. And I really like where we see the car from the back, and then the escape mental patient sort of steps into the frame, and you just see his foot, and then he just, the axe comes down next to him. Yeah, that was good stuff, actually. I I um I also thought giving us the young Ray Cameron in there yes. was, a, was a great little great little through line, to, you know, to carry it from the fifties to the eighties. I thought that was an absolute winner. Um, but the fifties stuff was excellent, and it started yeah. the uh, the little Easter eggs in terms of the names and the references to other movies. Yeah, which were pretty consistent throughout the film. I mean, some of them were. They were so consistent that some of them you didn't even notice. Luke was also a big fan of the uh, the actor playing the pre-Mo 
Atkins. <laughs> Roll. Yeah, he should have had a little bit of peach fuzz at least. Yeah, he should have had like a pencil mail. <laughs> just, yeah, it's old patch or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But those, uh, those Easter eggs, I mean, I may as well mention them now. We had the, you know, the Corman University. Yeah. We had JC, JC Hooper. I don't know if Hooper was a reference to Tobe Hooper, but JC was definitely a reference to John Carpenter. I believe they yep. call him James Carpenter later on. Yep. Chris Romero. Cynthia Cronenberg. Cynthia Cronenberg. Officer Ramey, Detective Landis. Mr. Minor was also another one because Steve ah, Minor was second actually second unit on it. How was but he? They referenced Steve Minor's work on, on Friday the 13th, so it was... I mean, it was great to see them do that in that in that way. Like we've we've talked about how sometimes we like the Easter eggs and sometimes they're too forced. Yeah. I felt like this was was clear, but it wasn't. You know, I, I enjoyed the way that they did it by essentially naming all the characters that way, and uh, some of them were subtle, some of them were were right in front of you. So I, I really enjoyed that. Well, is Detective Ray Cameron James Cameron? Is that I don't what that's know. For? I don't know about that one. Speaking about the aliens, just going back for a second. Yeah. Talking about the magic of Blu-ray again. <laughs> and also, you know, delving into a little bit of the trivia. This was the first time I watched it and I actually got why the the one of them was dropping the canister. Right. For all those times I've watched it, I never realised. But it's because when you see it and it's clear... That one that drops the canister is is creeped, as Fred Decker mentioned it. You look at the eyes, hmm. and it's been zombified. Ah. So it's dropping the creeps to Earth, whereas the other ones have their, their eyes look, look, you can see the pupils and everything. So they're trying to kill it. So they're trying to kill the one that's that's the creeper, basically. So All it's right. kind of like this has just happened in the spaceship beforehand, and this one's just released them to Earth. I having watched it a few times before this. This was a, that was the first time I got it. So I'll probably need to do a little bit more research. Yeah, but that's a, that's a really cool way of sort of starting it off. Well, I it didn't really notice that, that either. It changed that whole intro scene for me. And I must say, I think this might be the first time I watched it on Blu-ray. I have had the Blu-ray for a little while, but I watched the DVDs beforehand. I bought the Blu-ray not that long ago, but I haven't watched it since I bought it. The last time I watched it was definitely on DVD, so probably clear enough to see there, but then obviously with all the features that we got on that last Blu-ray release, it was kind of front and centre this time, and I got that information. So, yeah, it was actually great to, to kind of get that and get the actual context for the intro of the film that they actually wanted. Exactly, and it kind of adds a little bit more to it um, yep. if you look closely at it. I love the 80s-style college stuff. Mm. I mean, it reminded me of Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> it did. The whole aesthetic was very similar. Well, I must say, watching the trivia track, they kept mentioning people who'd been in Porkies and things yeah. like that. <laughs> I thought, yeah, okay, you know, the same sort of vibe that they were going for. That type of stuff, it, it's it's hard to recreate now. If you're doing a movie now and you're trying to take it back to the 80s, it's still hard to recreate. There's something about those movies that were made in the 80s, set on a college campus, all that stuff, you know, the frat parties and all that sort of gear. Yeah. It all and just a lot works. Of it, I think a lot of this one was, was actually filmed on... Uh, USC, wasn't 
Yeah. Portions of it were filmed there, so you can't really recapture some of that stuff once it's gone. Yeah. I really, I also really like the first meeting between JC and Cynthia, mm. where she's talking. He's talking to Steve. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, he had to have a phone call, or whatever. He's like, thanks, dude. Fucking runs <laughs> off. <laughs> then he comes back later and goes, hey man, there was no phone call for me. <laughs> he's done. <laughs> He starts going, sorry, what was your name again? Biff. Chad. Chad, Chad or Chad. <laughs> yeah, that was good, actually. Yeah, I like that I, a lot. I really enjoyed that scene. It also starts to develop that the relationship between Chris and JC, which is one of my big likes of the, of the movie. Yes. I think they they do a really good job of developing that. The lines between them feel kind of... Sort of, you know, natural for that kind of environment, and um, I mean, I'll get to it down the track when we start sort of going further down what happens later in the, later in the movie. But yeah. I think it sort of sets some of that stuff up really nicely, and they have some great lines. I mean, I love when they get back to the the dorm and they start fucking having a bit of a fight, and JC says to him, "If you weren't such an asshole, even girls would like you," and, and a couple of lines back and forth like that, and then they really quickly get over it. I think it's, yeah, it's just a really good relationship. Yes, and, you know, Luke was saying exactly the same thing, the, the bromance sort of thing between those two. It it really works because the dialogue is natural. They seem like they get along. Yeah. it's It kind of builds for, it takes about 20 minutes to kind of build it up. Yep. Which I like, and it just kind of gives you some, some characters that, are likable. Yeah, definitely. You know? And that's one thing I noticed here. There's a lot of likable characters. Did you realise, um, again, picking up on the first time this time around, thank you, thank you, Blu-ray, did you realise Chris is Blake Lively's brother? Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. No, I didn't know it either. Oh, shit. And then when I read it, I was like, I had a look at him side by side, and I'm like, I can see it now, but, you know. He must be a fair bit older than her. Yeah, he is. He's he's a fair bit older than her, so. But, yeah, there you go. Wow. Yep. Nice little piece of trivia. Mm-hmm. The first time we see Atkins. Oh, of course. He's in a white suit. He's got the shades on. The mo looks perfectly manicured. He's yep. drinking. Uh, this is what I, you know, when you know, you know when Luke mentioned a, a little bit about Tom Atkins before, you said Luke had some some things to say about Tom Atkins. Yeah. This particular sequence is the closest we've we've got to catching Tom Atkins in his natural state on film. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Am I wrong? Like a white suit, drinking grog out of a coconut, surrounded by beautiful women, like. It just seems like they said, Tom, can we just get a couple of, uh, you know, behind-the-scenes shots? <laughs> so you reckon if we were to go to a, a zoo and there was a Tom Atkins, a Tom Atkins animal, no, no, that's well, if we, how it would be, be. If we got Tom Atkins at the zoo, we'd get closer to what we got in his films. But if we, if we got Tom Atkins in the wild... <laughs> This oh, is wild this, Atkins. Tom Atkins in its natural habitat, this is what it looks like. Yeah. That's yeah, what I, I think. You're probably, you're probably spot on there. Yep, in, I that, think that's, so. That's as close as we get to Tom Atkins. Yep. The real Tom Atkins. The real Tom Atkins. Atkins in the wild, in his, in his natural state. 
He's living the dream, as Luke puts it. <laughs> he is. He is. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's definitely living the dream of that scene. But you know what I love about that scene too? The way it jumps back and forth and you realise it's a dream. Yeah. Where, he, where he, he, he suddenly appears dressed in the police uniform from the 50s and then they cut to the escape mental patient chopping up his girlfriend or his ex-girlfriend, they yeah. cut back and he's he's holding the shotgun that wasn't there before and there's this giant flower on his on his jacket. Well, I sort of, yeah, I, I like the way they play their hand because they, they I think they give the audience a little bit of credit. I think they, they know that you, you will get that this isn't, this guy that's sitting on the beach in a white suit is not actually part of the film as it's supposed to be. Yeah. So I think they give you a little bit of credit for that and then they, they move on in his own dream and you start to say, you know, you, you know, okay, he's he's dreaming and we go along with him rather than trying to go for like a little bit of shock value or something that, oh, shit, he was dreaming. I think we already got that. Yeah. So, yeah, I really like that. Absolutely. For some reason, I love the coroner. He's constantly opening his briefcase and pulling out a sandwich. <laughs> Yeah, but he doesn't eat it off the body like he, like you know, some scumbag out of Crystal Lake's, you know, <laughs> no. Crystal Lake coroner. No, he doesn't eat it off the body, but he's close <laughs> enough to it. Every yeah. time we see him, he's got a sub sandwich in hand. Yeah, which I thought was another cool little sort of Easter egg there, where every time you see the guy, uh-huh. the coroner, he's at a crime scene, he's got a sandwich in hand. He's eating nonchalantly in front of corpses whose heads have exploded and stuff. I, I yeah, just, just I really a, enjoy that stuff. It's just tomato sauce. Yeah. Oh, don't worry about that. Be fine. Yeah, yeah. That was definitely uh, quite amusing. Also, you know, one of your favourite lines, which he delivers to Raimi, I believe. Yeah. You're going to straighten it out, Raimi? Or am I going to, you know, am I going to play Poo Patrol with your nice stick? <laughs> Classic stuff. <laughs> this is, again, what I like about the movie. He keeps this up for a while, but we yeah. get a scene down the track where we show that this is a kind of charade. It's it's a little bit of a front. He's still haunted. Yeah. By yeah. The, the stuff that happened in the 50s. Mm. And by this point, we've already got a couple of thrill me's. We've already got the name of the podcast right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think throughout the whole film, he says that, what, we get five from Tom yeah. Atkins. And then we get one at the end. And then from, we get the one at the end, which is a, a nice little uh, callback. Yes. I do love that sequence too where just a shot, it's just such a, a cool shot is where the coroner is eating again, but <laughs> he's, in, he's actually in, his, in the a, lab. Eating a sanger with a bit of extra seasoning and a bit of extra, you know, Condiments, on yeah, it. and um, the corpse is on the table behind him, and then it just sits up, and then just yeah. gets off the, the gurney and walks away. Well, it's, a, it's just a really cool look about how he sort of sits up there. It's expected, but it still it still works. And I also love how he wanders past like the patrolman who's reading his paper or something, and he's just like, "See you tomorrow." Yeah, there you go. Yeah, see you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that was that was good stuff. I think it's also around that same time that there's classic sort of newspaper exposition shot. Yeah. But it's done a little bit differently. Like I I haven't quite seen it as much as I've seen it in 
you know, the, the way that we saw it in this one where it's like over the, the point of view of somebody kind of reading it over their shoulder almost. Yeah. And then that person folds it up and we've got JC and Chris in the background picking up the scene from there. Yeah. Loved it. A little bit of a, a fresh twist on a classic a classic sort of take that we've got to, to deliver information. This might be something that we, that, you know, that, that, that Fred Decker picked up from some of those movies that he was referencing when he was making this, but as, you know, people that didn't necessarily get to see a lot of them and didn't get to see a lot of those those movies from the 50s and 60s, um, even being in a market where we didn't even really have the option to see some of them, it was kind of nifty to see it here that, that they, they'd done it in a fresh kind of way. Yeah, I, I appreciated those sort of twists on on the classic takes. Definitely, JC's death. I actually really liked it. Oh, it's excellent. Luke points out that um, he doesn't wipe his ass after <laughs> using the toilet. So, so JC secretly, you know, JC maybe he was from Crystal Lake, a resident you know? of Crystal Lake. Yeah, is currently yeah. going to college. Where you don't get taught to wipe your wipe your fucking ass after you go to the <laughs> toilet. <laughs> yeah, and if I remember rightly, he realizes there's a. Uh, there's trouble brewing. He just whips up his strides. I'm thinking, ah, hang on, you've got enough time to wipe your bum. You're yeah. not. It's not like Demon. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm going to cut Demon a bit of slack. There was a piece of, you know, sharp metal going through. <laughs> <laughs> death was imminent. Yeah. <laughs> For Demon, he needed to. He needed Even to if death is imminent, sorry, you do it quickly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, at least roll one. One sort of yeah, couple of squares one, of bog roll and do a quick wipe. One to two squares, give it a crack, and then pull your leather strides up and 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 fend off the <laughs> fend yeah. off the machete that's poking through the through the uh, outhouse wall. But yeah, I, I enjoy J- the, the the JC's death scene or his where he gets attacked by the slugs. I just think it's a nice little nice little sequence. It gives us a little bit of information about what will kill them. But it's also really rough in terms of, as I said, I really liked his and Chris's relationship, and we're conditioned to thinking that they're they're gonna they're gonna work their way around this together. So it's really rough in terms of like the narrative. It doesn't feel like it's finished for the for yeah. those two. Yeah, so true. When he is in that situation. You're almost thinking, is he gonna come back? Until we get the tape, you know that 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 he's gone. And I think Fred Deck has actually gone. Um, it might be on one of those commentaries that I'm yet to watch, which I'll probably will go back and watch. But I believe he has actually stated that if forever for for any reason, if they did a sequel, that he would find a way to, to that JC would come back. Yeah, and I um, think that it leads to that sequence that I think everybody likes, and that is the the tape. The tape's excellent. Yeah. And I just, I'd forgotten that he says, I walked. Yeah, yeah, that was so good. You know, I walked, Chris, all by myself. I yeah, walked, like, and I was just like, I forgot about that. It's ups- It's really upsetting and really sad. But he, I also love the way that he says, he just says, I love you and good luck yeah. with Cynthia. Like, it's so, especially for the 80s, to hear, to hear a guy who's friends with someone just simply say, I love you. Yeah. You know, it just it, it's fucking powerful, yeah. especially for the type of film that it's in. Exactly, this is pure B movie 
stuff, you wouldn't have expected this kind of depth. Yep. And the movie plays very horror comedy. Yeah. I think that's kind of a real dramatic, emotional point. It is. But it It rams home the fact that they've done a great job selling that those two two characters are best mates. Yeah, it elevates the material. It elevates the threat. And it just, yeah, I don't know. I, I also just love the fact that he was a character that, that 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 had a condition of some sort. We never found out what it was. He was just no. a character. He was just he was just there. It didn't it didn't play into anything other than oh, he he's just a he's just a guy with a disability of some sort. We never find out what it is. It never comes into the story. It never. Yeah. You were almost conditioned to thinking, how are they going to put this into the into the story somehow? And they yeah, well, that's what that's what I thought. Yeah, I thought for some reason it was mentioned somewhere, but it's not. No, which was and it really only to see works. Yeah, it only sort of comes up when he says, "I, I walked," and the bully guy tripping him over. What was his name? Brad. That's Brad. Right. Yeah, Luke yep. has got no time for Brad. No, no. think of a bloke. Yeah, cut of a bloke, he says, basically. I'm paraphrasing. I don't think he actually says that, but he... Uh, let me just give we'll it to you. credit Luke straight. with that one. <laughs> he, says, he says here, Brad's headshot and subsequent roasting were great. It's always good to see an arsehole bite it, even if they're already dead. Yeah, yep. I agree, Spot on. 100%. Spot on. Just going back, we kind of tied the death and the tape together, but just going back slightly, I love the cat. Yes. I think it's got all the bloody... Worms hanging out of it. And yeah, shit, I think because it's such a trope that to to get the cat creeping in and then see it like that was kind of like oh shit! You know? <laughs> like I wasn't expecting that. I was actually just spe- expecting the cat just to scare someone for a jump scare, but to actually get it where the cat is infected with this shit or creeped as as Fred Decker was 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 calling it. I thought that was great. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. And to backtrack again, because as you know, as you pointed out, we tied those two pieces together, and they're not necessarily yeah. There's a bit of a one gap after the other. There's a gap between them. Yep. That's also where we get that sequence where Atkins loses his cool. Yeah. And full of piss. <laughs> He's back on the piss, and he just well, gives lays out the story to Chris yeah. about what happened. Just digging into it. Yeah, it's the first time that he sort of drops the the pop culture references and the 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 facade, and just lays out what we kind of expect because we see him in the fifties. Yeah, we sort of know there's more there and there's more coming, but just the delivery of the man. This is why you get you know five bristling mows for this performance. This is why you come within a hair of being Martin Riggs. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. This is why, rather than Riggs having a mullet, he nearly had an overgrown mustache. Is, yeah, is because of delivery like this. Just the way that he drops all that info. Again, I think it's a it's a combo of nifty writing. It was it was just a a nice tribute to those films that they loved, but I thought the way that they brought it back around, tied the maniac and the, the axe and whatever in with the creeps and whatever, like, I, I really liked it. And the way that he talks about how I found it, you know, we, I found her in the car and on the road and on the, like, he, he just, he delivers it so well. This is, uh, remember I said uh, during the maniac cop episode, 
that Tom Atkins, if he'd have been 30 in the late 80s, he could have been sort of Bruce Willis. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Although Last Boy Scout is, is a darker film, I guess you'd say. Yeah. There are similarities between Detective Ray Cameron and Joe Hallebeck. There is. And I must say, I had to laugh. I watched the interview, the Tom Atkins Man of Action interview, and he, he mentioned how one of his first gigs was with Frank Sinatra in The yeah, Detective. The Detective. And I thought, we were close. <laughs> <laughs> we were close. You're making it tenuously. <laughs> we were close to John McClane, played by Tom Atkins. <laughs> Just if only he'd been born a few years later. Yeah, yeah. John <laughs> McLean. Oh, love McLean. Love it. <laughs> there is definite similarities, and it's funny that the dialogue for both of those films are written by guys who were obviously friends and had lived in a house together and had similar, you know. Because I believe Shane Black's into all those old hard-boiled sort of detective novels and stuff, and you see a few yeah. of them in um, Atkins's apartment in this. Yes. That's why I get the Joe Hallenbeck, Ray Cameron sort of link, because they're yeah. both scumbags. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not sugarcoat it. Yeah. They're kind of roguish scumbags. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, but if, it was, if it was played by Tom Atkins, we never would have seen his daughter. And we would have fallen in love with Tom Atkins on the screen as he was, <laughs> regardless. <laughs> you know what? One of my favourite lines of the entire film, when he's driving to, to sort out the, the corpse of the, the mental patient that's now dug itself out from the ground. Yeah. And he's going, where are my backups? And then two cars come, cop cars come flying out, one behind him and one in front of him, and he's just he looks at them and goes, Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. One of uh, one of the other scenes that I really liked, and I don't know why, but just it just kind of got to me this time when previously it hasn't really sort of landed as much. But when uh, the girls are getting ready for the formal, you know, doing all their makeup and whatever, and then you get the shot of the boys. And they're fucking sliding down the stairs with titties in hand and fucking slapping each other on the back. And you get one of them, you know, in the mirror getting ready to have a shave or something. And then one of them fucking pushes him out of the way or something like that. I'm like, this is like every footy change room I've ever been in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like stupidity you, it turned yeah. up to 11. It's like a it's like a primary school playground with beer. In yeah, exactly. Time. You know, it's ridiculous. But um, yeah, I was laughing at that because obviously, I think you know, it was it was fairly intentional, and the you know the the contrast between the boys and the girls, I thought was quite quite funny. Yeah, I tell you what, my favourite scene in the entire movie is when we we get we get a shot of Atkins in his apartment and he's kicking back with a glass of whiskey, slugging back a couple of whiskeys, listening to some jazz, yeah, and then. There's a the, Chris arrives at the door and Atkins pulls like masking like um yeah tape yeah, around from tape around the door, the door and he yep. tells and Chris tells him yeah what's going on and then we get a close up of his gun getting holstered and then as he steps away you just notice that the fucking oven was open yeah. and the gas was on yeah and he was gonna kill himself yes <laughs> I was just like that's fucking awesome 
Well, it's kind of sad, and as you said, like, yeah, it's kind of, it's... Like, he'd be the first hero, Jared, that flies into action for the finale, where only minutes before was about to kill himself. Well, that's very Riggs, isn't it? Like, It's, it's got very... a little bit of that. <laughs> but the thing was, the, the, the genius of that was, I thought he was untaping, the, like, I thought he was pulling the tape off the door because of the slugs. Yes. I thought he'd figured it out. And then you see him turning off the oven, and I was like, oh, fuck, that's really dark. Yeah. That is really dark. And then, obviously, he heads down that direction anyway, but does it in a fashion where it's kind of the heroic sacrifice that you sort of expect in films sometimes. But, again, it was sort of it, – it was heavier than the material. Along yeah. with sort of JC's tape, it sort of – it lent it a bit more. It lent it a bit of weight about about what these people were carrying. Exactly, and it just kind of made it more, a little bit more than what it was. And I think yeah. that's kind of why it didn't succeed at the time. It was seen as just a bit of a you know, a throwaway, you know, B grade sort of horror film. Yeah. But there's a lot more there. I think there is, yeah. There's a bit more which, to it. Which it's disappointing that it didn't make money. Yeah, but I think, you know, it didn't make money on the initial run, but I'm I, like, I would uh, suggest that now, given that we're still talking about it and they're still selling special editions of it, you know, one of which came with a, with a Ray Cameron action figure that I'm absolutely fucking filthy that I never got my hands on. <laughs> um, it's, it's a... Uh, You'd suggest that it, it has more than made its made its cash. Yeah, I think run. so. I actually also there's a yeah, there's a couple of sequences that I wanted to bring up. Obviously the frat brothers emerging from the bus. Yeah. I think works really well. Again, another little fact that I picked up was a lot of the frat brothers apparently they were it was the FX team. Yeah. Isn't Greg Nicotero would, in there? Yeah, they figured it would be a little bit cheaper just to, you know, if these guys were all going to be around working on the FX, you may as well make them part of the crew and whatever. But there was also a really interesting thing about a character called Bill Carotes or Carrots Carotes or something who is an extra who's one of the zombies when they get into the shed sequence. Yep. And Fred Decker refuses to talk about it. And people were thinking, oh, this bloke must have just been a fucking nightmare to deal with. But then, you know, in the commentaries and on the trivia tracks, it says he bears more than a passing resemblance to Fred Decker. And so it is Fred Decker. Everyone's eventually said, oh, okay, so it's Fred Decker. And he's just kept up this facade of, I'm not going to talk about this bloke, (laughs) which I thought was (laughs) kind of cool. I thought it was. And a, a, a nice little way to sort of just keep it. It's it's everyone knows it, but a nice little way to keep people guessing in a, in an era before we had all that, you know, before we had the the DVD and everything, the, the freeze framing of uh, on those those platforms and the Blu-ray to to go back to it all. So I I really appreciated that. Yeah, he just kind of talk, kept talking about this. Like, oh, I'm not going to talk about this bloke. I thought that was really cool. Obviously, Luke mentioned about Brad copying it. Yeah. I love that Cameron and and Chris do it together. Yeah. They give it to him together, and then they also get the girl in on it as well. 
And after that point, Chris and Chris and her sort of go side by side and do it all together. Yeah. Rather than, you know, the, the knight in shining armor sort of approach. I loved it was sort of just we're all in it together and we sort of work through it together. Yeah, and that, um, that entire finale is excellent. When yeah. it's just balls to the wall, Atkins goes apeshit, the fucking <laughs> in the house and starts shooting everything that moves and screaming. Yeah. That that shot where he goes sort of three sixty, the old yeah. yeah, and just starts fucking firing and everything. That was great. Luke mentions a scene that I forgot where he backtracks slightly is where they go down to get the flamethrower. Yep. And we oh, get Dick yeah, Miller. Dick Miller. Yeah. Dick Miller and Atkins riffing off each other. Yeah. Great stuff. <laughs> How he just puts the gun. You need to fill out the requisition. Yeah, what happens if I don't have one? <laughs> yeah, I don't have one. <laughs> that was good. That was really good, actually. Yeah, I really liked that. And, uh, what's he saying? I'm looking for a gun variety flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that whole sequence is really good, the way that they play, that they knew each other from before. And, yeah. you know, just two guys that have appeared in genre films throughout the 80s and, you know, beyond that, it's sort of just nifty to see them playing off each other like that. Exactly. I just think that the whole finale with Atkins sacrificing himself and the whole sort of detective thrill me, it's fucking fantastic. Great way to end. Yeah, well, sometimes I don't... I don't know. Those those heroic sacrifices, sometimes they they play out like it's... He kind of winks at him, doesn't he? Yeah, well, sometimes it's like too convenient and whatever. But as we said, you know, we briefly mentioned before that we've got that that portion before this that shows the, the, the fucking pain that this guy's in. For all the comedy and shit that he comes out with, he takes Chris back there, pours a couple of drinks and fucking pours his, his heart out. And then obviously, you know, we have the scene where he, he was going to do it before that. So... I bought it in this one. Yeah, and it did. I, I thought it it carried off. You know, he he did it with it with a purpose and whatever, and and he'd sort of been carrying it for thirty years, and 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 did what, in a way, after what they'd set up, the way that he wanted to go out. Yeah, agreed. And I think it was always leading up to that. Yeah, it was always going to lead up to him taking a hit and going out. Putting those other people in the position to what he felt he might have missed out on too. Yeah. But it's also interesting to see that he, he comes wandering out. Yes. After it's over. Yeah, well, there was another ending too that had the, was that, was, uh, the, the, the dog, I think. The, yeah, the dog or the cat. And he doesn't the, come walking out, does he? No, it was essentially the same shot, but then the... the um, uh, oh, the shit, dog goes up to Cynthia, doesn't it? Yeah, Cynthia. Cynthia leans down and and goes to pat the dog, and it basically seems like a shot where the dog's passed on one of the creeps to her, and then it cuts off. So I, I kind of like the Cameron ending as well because it yeah. sort of opened it up without compromising those other characters that we felt like had got through and that we wanted to get through. And again, I felt like it sort of worked because Cameron. It was fucking sad, again, to see him wandering out knowing that he'd been creeped and he was going to fucking continue it on. Yeah, and I, but I actually really liked the fact that in the ending on the DVD is the slugs go into the cemetery. Well, that's the same, the same ending there. It's just, yeah, it's, it's sort of... A really again, great way to go with a sequel. Well, it, it, it opens it up for a sequel while also being 
I felt like Decker made made it disappointing where it it should have been disappointing in terms of excitement as a film goer. Like the same with Killing JC. I was fucking sad about that, but I'm like, damn, that was good a good choice. Yeah. And I feel like the Cameron ending was probably the same as that. Yes. I would suggest, yeah. Look, I can go either way on the ending. I would prefer the one that's on the DVD, which is Cameron coming out and them going into the, the, the cemetery because it keeps Chris and Cynthia alive. Yeah, well, that's the same ending. That's, that's the ending that I've got, but the, the, yeah. the, the Blu-ray that I had contained the alternate ending as well, Yeah, which I checked out afterwards and didn't like as much. No. It's a bit too simple. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Do you have any other likes? No, that was. I think we talked about it at length. I, I think dislikes will be thin. Mate. Yeah, thin. I think I've finished fucking pulling my pud over the likes on that one. Luke Luke starts off with the character of Brad is an utter fuckwit. Yes. Well, I had a like that that is essentially the same. Not necessarily Brad, but Cynthia's interest in Brad. Yeah. Which I know has been brought up by the fan base. In the film, she never seems into his shit. Yeah, and that's what Luke points out here. It's kind of like when she when he trips JC over, she kind of looks at him with that fucking the reaction. You know, is kind of like fuck you. Yeah, where she but sticks even, her finger up at him. And and prior to that, it's kind of like we don't get a lot of them prior to that. But but from what we get of her and what we get of him, it's never. There's never this scene where there's a reason for them to be together. Yeah. Other than the status, which even then we don't really get, we just get that they're from two, um, two frats. She's a sorority. She's frat the, and sorority um, houses, and the president uh, of the sorority, and he's the president of the the frat. So yeah. it's kind of like by extension, they sort of their status and and standing. Yeah, puts so them I, together. I guess we get that, but it's it's just sort of. Whenever we see them together in the fr- in the film, she's never up with his fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was a little hard to hard to buy that they were together because he is. Yeah, yeah, Luke's not wrong. He's a fucking bell end from from the get go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's a real he's a real tool. Yeah. Some of the effects, although most of them I think are pretty passable, some of the slug work <laughs> is a little bit. <laughs> You know, you can see they're obviously being dragged. Yeah. Via a fishing line or something. Yes, and they do reverse some of the footage when they're when they're jumping into mouths. Yeah, know, and that's, but but that's fair enough. I mean, it's more difficult to do that. Yeah. In that time period. Yeah. I mean, Luke was saying the one one of them that attacks JC looks like a turd on a screen. <laughs> <laughs> it does. <laughs> and it definitely does. So some of those are a little bit ropey. Yep. Some of the acting's a little stiff. Do tell. Yeah. Who's who's stiff? I think at times JC and Chris, you can kind of see that they're both inexperienced actors. I think you're right. The acting work sometimes is... is it's not a great deal, but there are times when it's just not quite. Especially when Tom Atkins is around. Well, I agree, but I, I think the strength is they do look like buddies, and and yes. I think they do. I mean, they the people that worked on the movie all say that they all got got along really well together, and they do look like friends. But you're right; I think some of the acting moments 
are a little bit off, perhaps. Like the sequence where they're being interrogated by Atkins, it's chalk and cheap. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, shit. Who wouldn't be intimidated by the man in the, the king. in that particular sequence? Yes, King Tom. Exactly. And yeah, like, look, it's not super bad. That's that's the thing. It's a, to me, it's a bit of a minor negative. It only mm-hmm. crops up occasionally that the acting looks a little bit not quite. You can see their inexperience, but for the most part, it works. Mm. Luke reckoned uh, that one of his dislikes was when Chris hands Cynthia the flamethrower. And then he begins sort of like whining like a bit of an idiot. He's telling you how to fire it and all this sort of shit. It's like, yeah. It's like, come on, mate. Just cool it up. Just, well, yeah, relax a bit. I actually had a, a just a, a dislike just prior to that. Yeah. And that was Cynthia sitting down with Brad when he's clearly. Oh, yeah. Because. And she opens the door and looks at him and his face is all. Yeah. And I up. think. The big thing for me is she's the one that had seen the bloke that broke out of the lab before that. Yes. And so she's kind of the only one that's got to look at someone that might have been in this state and is trying to convince other people of that. So when Brad comes in and sits down, I mean, if it had been anyone else, I could cop that, oh, they think he's in a costume and he's playing a gag or something like that. Yeah. But she'd seen it and been scared by it. So when she sits down with him, I'm thinking, hmm, would you? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. It was a little bit of a leap. Just a, just a little bit. I mean, I, I, I had it as one of my likes that they all kind of teamed up and did it together, but I think Luke's right about a little bit of the sort of, you know, a little bit over the top in terms of we'll give you the weapon and then – then sort of kind of explain if you how to use it. And all yeah, this yeah. Stuff. Go over the top, like he. Luke also, like like he'd done it before. Yeah, exactly. Luke also said that his last dislike was when now uh, Atkins tells the sorority girl to lock the door. She yes. fucking dawdles over there. She, <laughs> she ambles over any slower. Like she's got all fucking day. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. <laughs> If Tom Atkins tells you to get there, fucking get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If this bloody grizzled-looking cop smells like grog, comes in ranting and raving with a loaded gun about fucking aliens. Exactly. And tells you to lock the door, you I mean, all last. I'm on. I'm, I'm up swinging off that fucking door handle before he's finished the sentence. I'm over there. What else can I do? I'm <laughs> barricading. I'm What's locking. What's next? Do you want another day. beer, Tom? Like, yeah. <laughs> Tom, we've got some beers in the fridge, <laughs> if you'd Look, like. I've locked the door and I've prepared a shot. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, yeah, I agree. I, like, that was one of the I, – I cracked up at that. It kind not, of it kind not, of takes away some tension was, too. Yeah, not for the reasons I was laughing at the other stuff in the movie. I was just like, come on, <laughs> let's get over there. Let's do it. I had one uh, – it goes back a little bit, but – the challenge from the frat boys, uh, like dropping a dead body on a fucking doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> Even in the eighties, that was a bit off, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying, listen. Yeah, I think I won't pledge. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, that's right. Like, what the fuck's wrong with you guys? 
I, I would say, listen, the, the frat house down the road, they're, they're just going for the simple fucking dead dwarf gag that Connell Cochran created. I think I might just go down there and see if they've got spots available. One of the frat houses down the road is just into serious hazing. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd I just had to. They said if I egged your place, I, I could get in. So I think I'm going to do that. Yeah, it's kind of a little bit silly. Yeah to, to, yeah, to link them to the dead body and get the creeps moving. Well, that's it's a it. little bit sort of. You put the dead body thing out there, but then then JC and and Chris thinking we'll go to the science lab to do that. I understand the the thinking behind that about university sort of med uh, practices and and what they have to do with with dead bodies and whatnot, but they go into a fucking secret lab with codes on it and all this sort of shit. Yeah, it's a bit much. It's a fair. uh, It's a fair. Yeah, fair bow to draw. My last dislike was um, only fleeting. But I'm pretty I sure. Look, can I stop you there? We've had, we've fucking had too many. This movie shouldn't have this many. Dislikes. Yeah, true. It probably shouldn't have. This. But these are so minor, mate. All right, I'm go pretty on. sure. Go on. I noticed that Chris might have had a front crease on his jeans. <laughs> That's Never. a no go. No one's done that, unless I was mistaken. But I can tell you now, <laughs> nobody does that. Ironing your no. jeans to crease the front. <laughs> Yeah, that's immediate lack of cool. Yeah, that's why you don't have a girlfriend. Like, <laughs> you're greasing your jeans. It's not because you're not in a frat house. <laughs> it's because you've ironed your jeans. Look, as a man who does not want to spend any more time ironing than I have to, like, you don't do that just for time's sake, let alone, you know, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. You, you, and you no know they're going to just be required. covered in grog. Covered <laughs> <laughs> in grog by the end of the night. I mean, I don't even crease me work pants. I just hope that after a you know after a bottle of Jack, sleeping on the couch will will fucking put a, an automatic <laughs> crease in the work <laughs> jeans when you stand up and go to work the next day in the same pants like Tom Atkins does. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's a man of experience. Did you have any other dislike? No, that was it for me. I I didn't have a hell of a lot. I uh, enjoyed it immensely this time around, obviously giving it four and a half. Definitely. Everybody, all three of us did. And if, now, if anyone out there can, can, you know, hit me up with one of those uh, Tom Atkins. Atkins action figures, oh, come on, give it to me. I need it. <laughs> now. Before we sign off, some final thoughts on Atkins. We talked about his fragrance, Darren, but I was also positing what kind of beer would Tom Atkins be? Mm. What kind of beer would he drink? Yeah. Luke posited that he would drink something that's called snake venom from <laughs> from Brewmeister in Scotland. It has an alcohol content of 675 <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. Given that's the man's fair. given the man's uh, intake, that would be spot on. Well, it's described as a one-two punch. <laughs> More like one punch, I think. Yep. And I, I was saying to Luke earlier on today, mere mortals like ourselves would drink one of those and go... <laughs> 
tits up immediately. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but exactly. Atkins can knock over a six pack without batting an eye. Yep. <laughs> I, on the other hand, posited that he might go for a Strauss Black Damnation six. <laughs> the alcohol content of a pretty meagre thirty nine percent. But it's it's described as being a pitch black beer and tastes smoky, bitter, malty, and roasted with distinct licorice, chocolate, and coffee flavours. <laughs> right. I think that's a mixture that Tommy Atkins can get behind. Yeah, yep, fair enough. Look, in terms of what I'm drinking at the moment, I'd probably compare him to a Biggie Juice from the Feral Brewing Co., <laughs> which... Uh, the reason I would do that is because the man is so appealing and the Biggie Juice has sort of, you know, tropical flavours of apricot and peaches and passion fruits. <laughs> but it's a hefty 1.8 standard, so if you don't treat it right, it will fucking knock you around. <laughs> You'll wake up in the morning feeling like you've been on the on the end of a, a Ray Cameron uppercut if you've, if you've fucking, you know, haven't dealt with the man correctly. So You've been dressed down by Ray Cameron. Yeah, I think that would probably, you know, he's he, he's so alluring to to so many, but um, but you wake up in the morning feeling like you, you've you've been in in a hefty blue with the man. So yes, <laughs> that's what I'm um, going with. Well, look, all all standard drinks that I'm sure Ray Cameron <laughs> and Dan Chalice have knocked over in their day. Oh, look, one point eight standard to one point eight standard drinks in a can to to Ray Cameron and Dan Chalice is like a like a can of Coke. So yeah, exactly. That's what he wakes up in the morning with. <laughs> exactly. Then he moves on to the Brewmeisters. <laughs> That's right. He has a That's couple of Brewmeisters just to just to put him to, just to put himself to into into a into a nice sleep of a night. <laughs> yeah. Let's have a nightcap. How about a sixty nine percent alcohol beer here? That's right. <laughs> Final thoughts on Tom. Look, the Black's a legend. I think it's yeah. pretty uh, pretty stock. As far as genre films are concerned, Night of the Creeps is where he's he's really he really gets it all together. He's very good in I, I enjoyed him in Maniac Cop, Halloween three, you know, throw the fog in. I mean he's he's more of the hero in the fog. Yeah. More of a sort of a hero character. Yep. As opposed to being kind of like this weathered, beaten down type of character in some of those other films. But, you know, Atkins. There's no wonder we took the we took his famous line as the uh the name of this podcast. Oh well it was an it was a natural choice, wasn't it? I mean, as you said, he, he just found his way into this genre fair that we love um in in that time period. So for people like us he just kept popping up and, you know, as we said, became the patron saint. Of, of, the patron saint of, and our first, the first uh, Thrill Me podcast, Hall of Famer. Just found his way into those into a, a handful of movies that I genuinely love. And, you know, we're at that point now where those people that are of the same sort of generation are trying to sort of sneak him into films in, in little little roles now to, to rekindle sort of some of what we what we loved. Didn't quite work out in a few of them, but seeing him in something like the My Bloody Valentine remake was was definitely appreciated. So, hopefully, before the man kind of you know shuffles off the mortal mortal coil, he he gets to grace us with a few more little entries like this um, yeah. in the canon. And look, 
he embraces his stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You know? That's what I like about him. He's a character actor. He's Great had a very long career. Yep. And he's willing to talk about these films, which I think is great. But, you know, from 1980, well, shit. When was The Fog? 81, I think. 81. So from 81 through to 88 was probably the peak of Atkins. Yes. And we got a number of really, really good films there that we still enjoy. And, and yeah, look, the Blake's, a, the Blake's a legend in my mind. And it's fantastic that we we got to look through this catalogue, you know. We only got five of his films and a couple of them were more sort of cameo appearances. But, yeah, it's always good to see especially yeah, in absolutely. that era. The Fog was 80, actually. I was a little 80, bit off. So 80 to 88. But yeah, we got the fog eighty one escape from sorry the fog in eighty escape from New York in eighty one, we got creep show in eighty two Halloween three in eighty two as you said there was just a run of this stuff through that period Night of the Creeps in eighty six Lethal Weapon eighty seven uh, Maniac Cop eighty eight which you sort of you know pointed out is probably the last of that run yeah um, but Jesus what an what an enjoyable run. Ah. You could go back and watch all of those films in a row and you'd find that you'd probably enjoy most of them. Yeah, and he also, can I, can I just mention that, you know, he did pop up in Walker, Texas Ranger. Did he? <laughs> Shit. He did. I didn't know that. Was he One playing episode? Walker? Champion. Great reason behind the podcast name. And it was an absolute treat to go through his charisma, uh, his, um, his, his, his films. Um, his except charisma? For <laughs> It was I like a trick. What you did there, except for trick. Yeah, correct. Probably the the only one that I was a little bit kind of down on because it wasn't a very good movie and he wasn't really in it. No, that's much. right. Even even something like Creep Show, he, which he wasn't really in, it was nice to go back to. But you know, obviously we we checked out Trick because of the the, the time frame that it was kind of his last genre entry that we hadn't covered yet. So it was nice yeah. to nice to see it, but. Uh, We'll leave that where it is. I think so. That was that is the end of Tom Atkins' week. Luke, thanks again, mate, for providing your thoughts. Always uh, welcome. Can Luke possibly provide a couple of those Brewmeister beers to us? Or? <laughs> I think he said he was looking it up on Google too and came across it, you know, like us, probably had his fucking jaw hitting the floor thinking, Jesus, who drinks this? <laughs> yeah. Like, my liver would explode. <laughs> yeah. I'd have to take it. I'd take a shot and that would be the end of me, I think. Yeah, exactly. You can find us on Podomatic, iTunes and Spotify. Our email address is thrillme at iinet.net.au. Our Facebook page is Thrill Me Podcast Australia and we're at podomatic at thrillme.podomatic.com. We're also on Instagram at thrillmepodcastau. Uh, make sure to rate and review us on uh, all the platforms that you can find us on. Keep an eye on the Facebook page for details of what we will do next. We may actually take a week off. It's, uh, you know, Tom Atkins has taken it out of us. Well, you're looking to take a week off, but I'm looking to find some shit to, to, to sort of get you back on <laughs> to board. To force me through. Yeah. Um, well, not force you, just sort of... Entice might be the word to yeah, say, hey, yeah. I'm, I'm it's watching like, this. It's and like putting you say, a mousetrap out with a small yeah, amount of cheese yeah, in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you smell the cheese and go, fuck, let's make an episode on that one. <laughs> yep. Uh, but until the next episode, take it easy and we'll catch up with everyone later. Cheers.
Find the podcast at Podomatic or on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review. Like us on Facebook at Thrill Me Podcast Australia or contact us at Thrill Me, all one word, all lowercase, at iinet.net.au.